part of sailing. Like, I look back at London, and we just had a few things go our way as well. Like, I remember one race that the Japanese tacked on us, and the main fell down. And you're like, oh, oh, how handy. And Rio just seemed the exact opposite, and that, you know, anything that sort of maybe could have swung our way just didn't. really hard to, to know that I was going to be sitting down at a desk um, from you know 8.30 till 5 um, and it was just such a foreign feeling um, having spent you know, uh, all my time since high school um, pretty much on the water or in some shape or form. out to me as one of those sort of muppet moments and just a well you know you can't get you let, get, can't get too carried away with how good you are because the sport just brings you back down hi there my name is michael brown and welcome into the second episode of broad reach radio the yachting new zealand podcast Last week, we kicked things off by chatting to Peter Burling and Blair Chuk about their experiences in the last Volvo Ocean Race and what impact it had on them as people and sailors. Thanks to everyone who listened and thanks for all the great feedback. You can still listen to the interview on Podbean or all the main podcast apps like iTunes and Spotify. Now this week, we go on a slightly different tack and talk to Joe Alley and Polly Powery, who we heard from in the introduction about the silver medal they claimed at the 2016 Rio Olympics. It was a dramatic regatta for the pair, not least of all for the fact that they suffered two disqualifications and yet still won a medal. I also talked to them about life after Olympic campaigning and some of the challenges they've faced along the way. We then round out the show by asking them their worst wipeout ever. This is a segment that you can be involved in and along with your feedback, you can write into Michael B at yachtingnz.org.nz with your story of your worst wipeout ever. Now this could be a spectacular crash, embarrassing one, or one that's just really costly. It'll be great to hear from some of you and we can share them on the show. Right, enough rambling for me. It's time for this week's feature interview. Enjoy. Well, joining us on the show now is Joe Alley and Polly Powery and together they made up Team Jolly. Uh, they joined up as a combination in 2009 and went on to win Olympic gold in London in 2012. They also won a couple of uh, world titles in the Women's 470 and in 2013 were Female World Sailors of the Year. But they also claimed Olympic silver medal in Rio in 2016, a result they view as their proudest achievement and the subject of uh, a main part of our interview today. It's a remarkable achievement and we'll learn more about why in the next few minutes. And we'll also go on to talk about life for the pair after the Olympic sailing and then transition into the next phase of their lives because like many athletes, it brought its challenges. Before getting into Rio though, I'd like to take the pair of you back a little bit. And Polly, you talked about, um, you talked after winning gold at the London Olympics of not being entirely satisfied with your performance there. What were you looking to achieve in Rio? Yeah, we, um, 
we took a bit of time after London um, to just sort of reflect on the 2012 Olympics um, and what we achieved there and, and um, you know, f- fantastic result getting the, the gold medal. Um, but we felt like uh, in terms of producing a complete performance at a regatta, we, we had room to improve. Um, and that idea um, was the premise, really, for the, for the next four years into Rio. Um, we knew we still had a few gaps um, and things we could work on. And so um, we set about uh, looking at those and, and the ways we could improve. So, Joe, that sounds like you're putting quite a bit of pressure on yourselves uh, to to find that complete performance. Can you also, talk, I guess, talk about some of the external pressures? Because going in to Rio, you were seen as one of the favourites. Yeah, I guess it's something that probably comes up for most or most of the sailors or athletes I've talked to. You know, as a returning medalist, the whole defending versus, you know, for us it was we were going there to sail an event, but as a as a past medalist, you're sort of in the eyes of everyone around you, you're going there to defend your medal or you're sort of, the expectation is so much more. Whereas for London, I mean, we expected to finish where we did, but no one else seemed to. So it was, it was a lot easier. And that, that whole build up into Rio was a whole lot harder for that fact that getting second, you know, I, I clearly remember, I think 2014, we got second at the world champs. And I just remember thinking of it as just a huge failure. And four years before that, we'd also got a second in the world champs. But, you know, at that stage, it was the best thing ever. So just how your how your view of your performances changes through, I guess, what is expected of you. Yeah, we, we weren't really, I think, as prepared for that as, as maybe we could have been. But, I mean, I probably wouldn't have listened anyway. So. <laughs> Um, Joe, just tell us a little bit about the name of your boat because in London you sailed a boat called Muppet and Rio it was Gonzo. What's the sort of the stories behind those two? Yeah, I guess, you know, we, we like to keep things fun and, and going into London, we used to sort of, a bit of our calling point for regattas was having a, a Muppet moment, we used to call it. You know, it would be, be going great, you're doing really well and then there'd be one race that was just an absolute shocker. And we did that at the Games as well. We are actually... I think the last fleet race were pretty much last and that was our sort of Muppet moment and so yeah we, we thought we'd just call our boat Muppet and after London I guess we, we peaked a bit with calling it Muppet so we had to go back a step and through the cycle to Rio we had um, Cookie Monster, Gonzo and Grover as our three boats. So, so let's just dive into I guess what, what happened in, in Rio um, and maybe you look at the first one the first race is whether that was a muppet moment or not i don't know but um the first race of competition and you thought you'd achieved a good result um polly if you can just i guess explain what happened because uh on the results sheet it says a 21 dsq yeah not the ideal way to start a regatta let alone um the one you've been working towards for four years um but uh, it was, it probably um, came back really to even before the regatta um, in terms of our preparation, I think, um, 
Joe touched on it and around uh, the expectation that we had on ourselves and, and from other people. Um, and uh, we probably didn't quite realise, I guess, how much of a, a target um, we were, um, or not a target, but, you know, we were we were pretty stiff competition for, for that um, event. Um, and, yeah, it probably, um, you know, there was an opportunity for our competitors to... to Give, put us on the back foot, um, and uh, and understandably they they took it. Um, but yeah, I think from our end, um, you know, it, it didn't it set us up for that event to to be a really tough event. Um, we spent you know four nights in the in the protest room trying to get it overturned, um, and it, it just wasn't to be. So um, you know, we just had to keep taking one race at a time um, and just keep chipping away. So Joe, I guess what we're referring to, I think was a port starboard incident with the Austrians. Um, just talking to your coach uh, yesterday and just in preparation for this, he was sort of like, all of you felt like there wasn't really anything in it. Um, can you sort of, I guess, explain what the incident was? Yeah, so it was just off the start line um, we'd tacked on a port, didn't have a great start, um, but not too bad, and crossed the Austrian by about a metre, metre and a half. Like, it was it was tight, but I remember the one of the Austrians yelled out and Polly sort of looked around and I was like, oh, I don't know what she's on about. And so, you know, we just kept selling the race. I think we were maybe sixth in that race and came ashore and were protested, so found some video which we felt showed it quite clearly that nothing had happened. Uh, went to the protest room and just, I guess, the facts found just didn't seem to line up with our version of events or or reality in, in, in my sort of, in my view. Um, and so obviously we lost the protest. Uh, we went back the next day with some new video from another coach which showed another angle and we sort of thought showed even more clearly that there had been no real incident. And so I think that was the second or third day. I don't know. It, it dragged on some long evenings. Um, but, yeah, the, basically at the end of it, didn't matter what we sort of submitted. It just seemed like we got put more and more in the wrong. And, yeah, and we, we had to take the DSQ. And that sort of, yeah, if you've sold enough events, you, you end up seeing that almost again and again, that it doesn't always go quite the way you think it should or, yeah, it's, it's a hard part of sailing, to be honest, the, the protest side and the jury. So I'm guessing, Polly, that you assumed that that would be your drop for the regatta. Um, how did that affect your mindset sort of going into the rest of the event at that stage? Yeah, we, um, particularly after the second um, uh, number of letters that we got against our name, the, the, uh, the OCS, um, you know, Joe talked about um, just taking it one one race at a time. Um, you know, it, anything can happen in a regatta, and um, I think we we had that mindset the whole way through. Um, you know, certainly we we were pretty uh, unhappy about getting a DSQ in the first race, but it didn't um, it didn't pull our focus away from from just sailing each race 
as well as we could um, as, as the week went on, or a couple of weeks. So, Joe, and then we come to the fourth race. Uh, you know, there's a big swell uh, off off Rio. Um, now, you described it afterwards as one of your best ever races. Um, but, in fact, you picked up a UFD. What was that moment like when you learned you'd picked up an, a UFD for being over the start line? Yeah, I can remember it quite clearly. I, I'm sure Nathan does too. Um, <laughs> I just, if I picture it, I just think of, you know, we had sailed a really good race. We just sort of chipped away through the whole race, no mistakes, went from, I don't know, sixth or seventh up to first and and won the race, or so we thought. And then crossed the line and Nath, Nath comes up and just, I can remember the look on his face. I know that look quite well now. So <laughs> if he's got bad news, it's, there's a certain look he gets. And it was the, oh, sorry, girls, you know, you were, you're over. And, yeah, it was it was a bit of a shock. I remember us sort of sailing away. And I think Polly, like, you had quite a burst of emotion, came out. And in that instance, I was the one that was like, okay, come on, no, you know, drop it. We've got another race in five minutes. Next race, next race. And, you know, we, we sailed a good next race. I can't remember what we got, maybe third or something. And and then when we got home that night, like that's when I had the bit of a meltdown. So I was just rushing around the team Kiwi house trying to find chocolate. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it wasn't an easy day. You know, it was, it's pretty hard to feel like all those four years you've done have just gone down the drain in sort of in one instant. But you did try uh, a protest. What sort of evidence, um, Polly, did you present? And what is it like in those protest rooms when you're fighting desperately for, you know, your Olympic gold medal, really? Yeah, we we did try a protest. Um, You know, at at that stage, we were going to try anything to try and um, salvage a result um, at at the competition. we did, uh, I think we did have, say, and correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, I think we did have some GPS footage. Um, uh, so I think we had, um, Nath actually took this one pretty much for us. I don't think we were in much state to be able to do anything about it. And he had found, I guess, the official video, like the TV footage, but that wasn't available till the day after. And so I think when they when he went to the protest room to try to get that put on the table, they said, no, you're too late. So, yeah, I mean, I think we were, we were, we weren't really a part of that. It was sort of a bit all over for us in some ways. When you look at the footage now, are you convinced that you were behind the line? I guess I still think, which is what I thought at the time that, you know, we were, we were punched, but there was two boats further over below us. And, yeah, I always thought we were close, but I never thought we were over. But that's, again, that's sailing. Is that the same for you, Polly? Do you feel like you were behind the line? Um, yeah, I mean, it, you, do, yeah, I guess you don't think you're over um, when, uh, when you're competing. And the, and the conditions were such that uh, it was quite soft breeze um, and there was a big swell running. So everyone was moving up and down on the start line um, and we were quite far down at the pin so the, the committee boat was 
you know, a number of metres away from us. Um, but no, I mean, you, yeah, you don't think you're over. Um, but, uh, you know, I spoke with the race officer um, after the event um, and he was pretty adamant that we were. Um, he, was, he was very confident. So, you know, you, you can't really argue with that. Um, and, yeah, it was just unfortunate that um, we couldn't proceed with the, um, you know, a, a protest. Yeah, I think we did get, or Nathan did get to listen to the audio of the the recording from the start boat. And I think our number was called just after the gun. And so that could be taken either way. I, I guess what's a little sad about that is that it's sort of now much more common practice to have a video, like a just a video of the line. So for there to be a camera set up pointing down the line at every event, just so that there is something to fall back on. I guess it's, it's a shame that didn't exist at that point, but it's a good thing that they've started implementing that since. So Polly, how did you keep things together knowing that you were carrying 21 points um, plus a, even a 12th from the third race of the regatta? Yeah, I think um, by the end of the event, uh, the schedule had been shuffled quite considerably. Um, there was uh, a weather front came through and that uh, uh, that meant that, you know, all the classes had to rearrange um, what course they were on and then how many races they had left. So it was looking a little dicey whether we would actually get a full series away. Um, they'd, we had one more day of uh, fleet racing to go um, and they'd stuck us on one of the inside courses with three races. Um, and, you know, that was just our, our last opportunity to um, do everything we could and, and um, we just took it one race at a time. Um, yeah, I remember that course, um, it was the bridge course down, down the back of the harbour. Um, it was always quite a tricky course. There was always current running and um, it was always quite shifty. Um, but, yeah, we... we, we um, we did all right that day. We we got ourselves back in the hunt. So you got certainly got back in the hunt. The last day of fleet racing, um, you had a one, backed it up with a one, and then you had a fourth. Joe, when did you think that you might be onto something? Um, I never actually thought we would be onto anything. I guess that last day, it was just really enjoyable for the fact that I felt we sailed really well. You know, I look back at a lot of those races, there's nothing I would change, like not a tack in a different position or it just felt like, you know, we could go around the top mark and fourth and I just assumed we would win the race. Like it was, it was easy almost. We were just sailing through the fleet and passing people and it was, it was, yeah, really enjoyable. And I guess, yeah, we got in, got in off the water and someone showed me the results and I just laughed. <laughs> like I was like, you're kidding, right? Because yeah, it showed that we were up to second. Obviously, the points very tight behind, but the fact that we were actually back in the hunt for a medal was, yeah, I think I'd written that off a few days before. So, Polly, do you think that maybe you'd been more relaxed heading into that final day? You know, you, you didn't really have anything to lose. Just give it a nudge, see what happens, and that potentially helped you on that final day? Um. Maybe, um, 
yeah, there was certainly a, um, I think it was an element that we, um, you know, and it goes back to um, that or- original sort of premise of, um, you know, just, just taking it one race at a time and, and just try and enjoy ourselves. Um, and, yeah, certainly, uh, yeah, the results that we had had uh, were in the back of my mind. Um, but I just just didn't think, you know, the regatta's not over till it's over. Um, and so I was still, you know, just, well, we, you know, both were still just trying to give it our all. But, um, yeah, enjoy ourselves at the same time. So, Joe, let's take you through to that medal race. Uh, the Brits had already sewed up, uh, sewn up the gold, but there were six teams battling for the remaining two positions on the podium. What what was that race like? Um, it was pretty hectic. I really feel sorry for people who watched it on the TV because I think it looks even more stressful than it was on the water. <laughs> like, I watched the race after online and I was like, oh, jeez. But um, the actual race on the water, it was, I, it wasn't our best race. Like I look back and there's a lot of things that change, but I felt like we were able to keep enough sort of overview and enough focus on what mattered. You know, the, I, we knew there were boats in the race that it didn't matter if they got away, that was fine. And then there was a few boats that we had to beat. And I think it was the French, the Japanese, the American. Was there another one, Polly? Uh, the Dutch, I think, were in there too. The du- no, well, the Dutch, they got second. Yeah, yeah, they just couldn't be too far ahead. Mm. Right. Yeah, so we had to be within a few boats of them and then had to beat, I think, the French and the Japanese and the Americans, something like that. It was, it was all quite tight. Um, But, yeah, I guess when I think back to that race, it was a bit chaotic and didn't sell the best sort of first or second lap but figured out what was happening on the course and it was it's a hard, really hard race course to sail on. It was up under the sugar loaf and the breeze was all over the place. There was definitely some patterns to it though and I just remember on the last downwind sort of leg um, we split a bit and I guess I just backed it. I backed the call and I'm just so glad that Polly would always would back my call as well. It was you know, two boats inside of us that looked like they could go around us. And I don't know, I knew that if we just held, we'd be fine. And just remember jiving for the final mark and seeing this sort of, you know, empty sea between us and the mark and knowing we would get there and we would be third in the race and that would be enough to, to win the silver. And that was just such a good feeling. Well, Coach um, Nathan Hanley said he'd never been so nervous um before a race and also never so emotional after a race um what sort of emotions were were in you afterwards polly after you'd known that you secured silver oh just so much relief um that we'd actually managed to to pull it off um it was uh yeah it was it was a really proud moment for us and that we'd it was such a tough regatta, um, you know. We, um, yeah, the fact that uh, we managed to come through in second there yeah, was just masses of relief. Has there been times, um, Joe, when you've sort of in the aftermath when you've thought, oh, you know, what if, what if we'd been one meter further behind the line, or we'd been 
one metre further ahead of the Austrians. Oh, I mean, that's that's part of sport, isn't it? There's so many what-ifs because there's a whole lot of other what-ifs. You know, we could have been – could have stuffed up something else in another race and then we'd, you know, be out of the position as well. So I think everything comes and goes. And it, it is a part of sailing. Like, I look back at London and we just had a few things go our way as well. Like, I remember – one race that the Japanese tacked on us and the main fell down. You're like, oh, oh, how handy. And Rio just seemed the exact opposite in that, you know, anything that sort of maybe could have swung our way just didn't. And so the fact for me that we managed to fight through and and it really felt like winning a silver. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a disappointment of losing a gold in that sense. It was, I guess we just had to fight for it so hard that, yeah, it meant so much. I guess it's yeah. You know, I haven't looked back too much at that. Of of course, you you'd always like to win everything, but no, I was I was happy for the journey. Well, that journey came to an end. That was the last um, regatta you guys sailed together as Team Jolly in the women's four seventy. Polly, did you sort of have a sense that your time was up? Yeah, um, you know, it, it was. I think um, I would probably underestimated a little bit how hard um, those four years were leading into Rio um, and quite different to the first four leading into London. Um, and though that, that just sort of took its toll on me um, physically and mentally. Um, you know, I'd had, a, I'd had a few injuries along the way, but I was also... Um, uh, you know, spending a lot of time in the gym just trying to stay big and fit and strong. Um, and, uh, yeah, so for me afterwards, I sort of, you know, still took time to reflect and um, just try and wind down from from the hype of, of, of the couple of weeks of the Olympics. Um, but, yeah, for, for me, it was, um, it was, I didn't just, felt like Joe and I had probably achieved all that we could um, and we'd had a fantastic time together. Um, but, yeah, for me, that, that sort of Rio Olympics was, was the pinnacle. So how hard then was it telling Joe? <laughs> yeah, it was quite um, – I, I remember calling her up on my way home from work. Um, started a new job and, um, yeah, it was, it was quite difficult. Um, because I wasn't quite sure how she was going to take it. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we knew each other so well and um, we, you know, I feel like we supported each other really well um, through the time that we had sailing together. So I, I thought she'd, she'd probably understand, um, you know, she'd been through exactly what I'd been through. Um, so she knew uh, how how much fun it was but also you know when we how hard it was as well so yeah I was, I was banking on the fact she, she knew me well enough and that she'd understand and was that the case joe i you know was it did you sort of feel like those words were going to be coming anyway yeah i guess it, i mean it wasn't a surprise at all i remember in rio sort of after the last day of racing just being a bit sad one evening and just sort of knowing that yeah it was over in that sense you know I, I did I, you know, I truly thought that was the last time we'd probably sail together like that and oh, I mean not not easy 
because it had been eight years and, you know, a lot of ups, a lot of downs, but a pretty incredible time. Like when I look back, it's, yeah, I wouldn't have chosen to do it with anyone else. And, you know, I still feel like I know Polly pretty well. So, yeah, I knew, of course, it would be hard for her to tell me that. But it was, yeah, I guess I knew it was coming. And, you know, of course, it was it was a sadness attached to it. But also, a, well, it's good. You know, we have to all keep moving and keep doing different things. And, yeah, Olympic sailing is not something you can just keep doing and doing. And it, it really does take its toll. So, the, Joe, what did you think then you'd be doing next? Um, so yeah, I guess at that stage I was trying to do a bunch of offshore sailing, uh, wanting to do the Volvo, um, again, to sort of, yeah, more, more pro sailing. I think Polly called me when I was in Hobart, actually, I just, I just finished the Sydney Hobart. And so, yeah, I was looking at that, looking at different Olympic sailing options, be it sailing with someone else or sailing a different class. Um, so yeah, I was pretty turbulent and in, in what I wanted to do but not really having something else to step back to and not really wanting to step away from the sailing at that stage it was all pretty unknown. And Polly you um, initially worked in property um, what was that transition like for you? Yeah it was, it was really hard um, uh, I, uh, not um, you know, I was, I was excited um, to try out a new sort of field of um, of work, um, but it was really hard to to know that I was going to be sitting down at a desk um, from you know eight thirty till five, um, and it was just such a foreign feeling, um, having spent you know uh, all my time since high school um, pretty much on the water or in some shape or form, whether it be as an athlete or a coach or something like that. Um, in, in going into full-time work as well, um, yeah, it, it took some time to, to get used to, um, that's for sure. You now work uh, with athletes um, with Canoe Racing New Zealand. How did you get to that place? And, and I guess what made you want to get back involved with high-performance sport? Oh, yeah, I, I realised, um, well, I guess, that, you know, after Rio, I, I wanted to get out of sport. I wanted to um, try just different things um, and um, just see what else was out there. Um, but I realised that, you know, I enjoyed um, sport and I enjoyed uh, high-performance sport. Um, I obviously had had my own journey um within that sort of system um and was just interested in in how and and still am how how sort of other people go about it um and yeah and so that's sort of how I found myself um yeah back back in back in sport and um this uh job came up with canoe racing um sort of this time last year um Oh, sorry, two years ago. And, um, yeah, so I applied and, and got in. And, Joe, you've uh, also worked in the corporate world. Um, you took a, a job with Ernst & Young. How did you find that? Um, yeah, I guess I've been with EY two and a half years now. 
it was a bit of a shock. So the first time I'd ever really been in an office was pretty much day one. So I I came through to EY through a athlete career transitions program, which um, EY is a part of globally. And it was it was it was an amazing way in into a, a pretty incredible company, a lot of a lot of wide reach and a lot of learning opportunities. I've definitely learned a lot in my time with them. I'm still at EY. I'm still working part time for them at the moment. Um, but I, I definitely struggled to to basically go to an office every day and losing that sort of flexibility or freedom that you have when you're an athlete. You you very much run your own life. You decide when you want to do something and how you want to do it, and then you go and do it. And this was quite quite different. I think after a few months of working for EY, I sort of reached out to try to do some coaching again, just to get involved. There was a young 470 women's team at that stage who I knew didn't have a coach. So I started working with them sort of on the side and ended up doing a few trips to Europe with them. And that led into my next coaching role, which was with the NACRA 17s for the New Zealand squad, did a trial event with them and then started actually running the squad for about a year. Um, And then the squad disintegrated and reformed in different ways. And I've been working with some of the NACRA sailors again, sort of for the last six months while EY is sort of on hold on the side. Polly, um, I guess they don't give you a, an operation manual when you stop being an athlete, but what sort of support is there out for athletes after the, they've done their Olympic campaigning? There's, defi- there's, definitely, um, there's definitely stuff out there, um, and I think it's, um, it's, um, it's a little bit up to the athlete to reach out to the different avenues that are available. Um, uh, so you know, I I did use a bit of it. I think I'm just trying to jog my own memory. Um, I think I did reach out to just different people, um, and as well as my own network and and other retired athletes that I did know, just to ask what their experiences were like. Um, and yeah, just just to sort of get a bit of understanding um, and just see you know what worked for them and what didn't. Um, which was it was pretty helpful because you knew you could um you know pick up the phone and and just sort of have a chat and say how weird is this you know um, <laughs> um or uh you know just just gain a bit of insight um so yeah there's there's definitely support out there and what would you what advice would you have for people who you know what would you tell people who maybe not sure what to do um, I think you, you you've just got to start somewhere um, and just try something. Um, you know, I I used um, some of my network just to just to try and find um, find a job. I was, I was interested in property, um, so I sort of thought I'll, I'll just start with that avenue. Um, and I guess in some ways I've kind of wound back to to high performance sport. Um, because that's um, you know that's that's a really big interest for me still, um, and so yeah, it's just just trying stuff. I think. Joe, you briefly mentioned um, 
that you moved into the coaching realm. I'll just take you back though. After Rio, you said you would never coach. So what changed? <laughs> yes, I did. I did say that. <laughs> Sorry, no. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess it, it was more wanting to find a way to still be involved with the sailing. I mean, I didn't really want to campaign. I would say I get people ask me a lot, you know, when am I coming back to sailing or when am I sailing, especially with the 470 being a bit open. And I didn't want to campaign, but I also I felt that I had a lot to offer and I had a lot of knowledge and experience that just seemed like a waste if I wasn't sort of finding an avenue to use it. And, I mean, it started small, just going out on the week on the water a few times during the week with some girls. And and then I guess I found, yeah, I, I did enjoy it. I enjoyed the fact that the lifestyle was very similar to actually sailing. And I guess I, I did find that I could be quite useful, like I had something really to offer. And, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit interested why I said I wouldn't ever coach. <laughs> I mean, I've always respected Nathan and how he coaches, and I guess I tried to – incorporate a lot of how he coached us into how I operate but I guess yeah I know I guess things slightly change don't they when you've had a bit more perspective you know the way you look at things is is definitely a bit different you also made a point um of saying a couple of times that you hadn't retired and I still haven't retired exactly (laughs) you still haven't officially retired so what is the situation now you know we've got 2024 Olympics, there's going to be a mixed 470 or there's an offshore keel boat. And I know that you've been sort of dabbling in a little bit of offshore sailing as well. Can we see Joe L.A. back at Olympic campaigning? Um, yeah, I guess it's, it's still a question I don't know the answer to either. Um, I'm not one to sort of shut down options. And I guess that's why I don't feel any need to retire. Um I don't quite know what the next year brings. Obviously, there's a whole lot of changes now with the games being delayed a year, which brings a, a shorter cycle for the next time. And, you know, what that means in terms of if I'm coaching or if I'm sailing, yeah, I, I don't really know yet. But I'm sort of, yeah, open to opportunities and open to ideas. And I just assume that things will sort of make sense as they happen. What about you, Polly? Do you miss high-performance sailing? I. Uh, I miss the competition. I think that was the, you know, that's the really fun part of competing. Um, I don't miss spending hours in the gym and um, on the bike and, and all the all the all the background work um, of being an athlete. Um, yeah, and yeah, so it's probably um, yeah. I mean the. I'm sort of getting out, getting my competition fix, um, doing the the Tuesday night women's series at the squadron. Um, so yeah, just doing bits and pieces like that. But um, yeah, pretty comfortable being a couch potato a little bit at the moment. <laughs> well, and also a mum. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm getting, I am getting plenty of run around time. Um, Katie started walking last week, so yeah, it's only um, only upwards from here. You have both been active um, in various committees. Um, Polly, I think you've been on an NZOC, Women in Sport Leadership Academy. You went to the Gold Coast um, Commonwealth Games, and you're also on the Yachting New Zealand Olympic Committee. 
And Joe, you're um, active also with World Sailing. What what sort of things are you looking to achieve, Joe, uh, in that role? I guess where it comes to World Sailing, I'm part of the Athletes Commission, and so it's just very much trying to make sure there's a slightly more direct voice from sailors back to organisation. And obviously, it's a it's a difficult time within sailing with a whole lot of changes of classes and events and the the move to sort of a 50-50 a gender equal slate for 2024. And so we were quite involved in that. And obviously, a lot of people aren't happy in the, the way it is with, with decisions like that. But just trying to make sure that, yeah, I can help represent sailors and probably especially female sailors. And then also the fact of representing Oceania because sailing is often a quite Eurocentric sport. So, yeah, I guess I just feel it, it's good to be able to give back in that way and be the one to put your hand up and ask a question and, and push people on areas that they sort of take for granted sometimes. I'm just uh, coming towards the end, I guess, of our, our conversation. But Polly, I'd, I'd really like to just ask you, why do you think the pair of you were so successful as a combination? We uh, were different in some ways, but um, we sort of had some really similar underlying themes uh, in the way we approached things. Um, and I think that combo allowed us to cover a lot of areas um, in our sailing. And, and, yeah, that sort of idea, I guess, um, yeah, allowed us to be quite successful. What about you, Joe? What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with, with Polly. I think we, we, we're definitely different people, um, different backgrounds and a different way of approaching things, but there are a lot of similarities underneath. It's like even the work ethic, the the amount of effort and energy, I guess I knew I'd put in, I knew Polly would be putting in exactly the same or more. You know, we I always we always had a great sort of trust and honesty and being able to be open with each other and not sort of gloss over the hard stuff, which I think when it comes to yeah, sport at, at that higher level, that's that's what ends up being the defining factor is that you can be actually really honest and it's about the two of you working together to make things better and not, there's no blame, there's no, it's like people ask me if we ever yelled at each other, like, well, no, <laughs> like, what, what does that accomplish? So I think, yeah, we, we were a very good partnership for, for all those sort of reasons. It was, yeah, a lot of fun. But I was also probably a pain to work with. <laughs> so I'm just lucky that Polly was uh, patient and forgiving and, yeah, I'm pretty sure Polly probably had a harder road with me than I did with her. <laughs> No, we both had our moments, Joe. That's for sure. <laughs> well, apparently, one of those the sights with you two was when you were checking in at airports. Um, you could have upwards of thirteen or fourteen pieces of luggage. Um, tell me, what on earth are you taking to have thirteen or fourteen pieces of luggage? We we took full advantage of um, Emirates <laughs> policy that it wasn't on weight, it was on pieces. Um, no, other way around. Other way around, sorry, yeah. <laughs> it was on pieces rather than weight. Um, but uh, yeah, I think we had bikes, we had tools, we had sailing gear, all sorts. It changed every time. Sails, foils. Yeah. To be fair, Nathan was flying with us that trip, so he had to carry stuff too. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, it's been a fascinating um, insight into your combination as a peer and the success that you've had and some of the, I guess, the challenges that you've had um, both on the water and, and since sailing off the water. Um, before you go, though, I do need to ask uh, your worst wipeout ever. The, the one that comes to mind for me um, was very, very early on in our partnership. Um, and we'd borrowed a 470 uh, and we were competing in the Winter Champs down at Murray's Bay. Um, and we'd managed, it was quite a windy day um, and just wasn't a big swell running, but it was choppy. Um, and we'd managed to pitch pole a 470, um, which... Uh, I can't remember who the coach out there was at the time. It might have been Nathan, and he just said, never seen anybody else manage to pitch pole a 470. Um, I don't quite know how we did it. There's so much volume in the bow that it's most would deem it impossible, but um, that's a memorable one that comes to mind for me. Do you have a similar story, Joe? Oh, we've got so many, so many. I think if you think about a really embarrassing crash, uh, probably, I'll probably remember this. So it was the Europeans in Greece, and it was a medal race. Well, I think we were coming second. And anyway, in this medal race, we had a bit of a shocker coming into the bottom arc and just and capsized. Someone left us, and we capsized. And so all the coaches are just sitting there at the bottom arc, basically watching you. And so we were, you know, we were gold medalists at that point, <laughs> and capsized, got the boat up, and the kite was so knotted around the fourth day that Polly like had to basically climb up on the deck and spent a few minutes untangling it and then we got it down and sort of you know completed the rest of the race about five minutes behind everyone else but um yeah always sticks out to me as one of those sort of muppet moments and just a well you know you can't get you get can't get too carried away with how good you are because the sport just brings you back down well, it's proves that it happens to the best of them, huh? Yeah. So, look, hey, um, thanks so much for your time. I, I really do appreciate it. And uh, as I say, it's been a really interesting insight into um, your experiences over the latter part of your careers. Cool. Thanks very much, Michael. Yeah, thanks for having us. Well, there you have it, the second episode of Broad Reach Radio. Hope you've enjoyed that chat with uh, Joe Alley and Polly Powery. Um, as always, your feedback is welcome. So you can drop me a line at michaelb at yachtingnz.org.nz. Uh, you can feed through suggestions or your stories of your worst wipeout ever. Otherwise, we'll catch you next Friday with the next episode. Take care.